Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from the psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, second-year child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, fellow Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi, Aaron. Fourth-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. DM Nguyen. Hi, DM. Hi, Aaron. Third-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Edgar Ortega. Hi, Edgar. Hi, Dr. Parks. What hey, long time no see. Aaron. <laughs> yeah, Aaron. Yeah, now nah, okay. that's a lot of things. A lot of things have changed, Let, Edgar, since you... Yeah, okay. it's, it's so changed. Yes. Uh, Third-year psychiatry resident at UCR, Dr. Saloni Singh. Hi, Saloni. Dr. Parks. And last but not least, second-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Hey, Aaron. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Well, we've got a full house, so uh, maybe I, I, I think I'll kind of announce who's talking. That might help uh, listeners out there. But on today's show, we're going to talk about imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon, as it, it's, it's more uh, reference to the literature. Now, what is imposter syndrome? You might have heard this. It's the inability to believe in your own success and that it is deserved, the success you have. It's been legitimately achieved. Um, and it's usually accompanied by a fear of being exposed to others as some sort of fraud that, that uh, you, you, you got here not on your own skill or efforts. People are going to notice this and you're going to feel a lot of shame. Uh, and you can look up you could do you, uh, an event, a way to evaluate this. Uh, Pauline Rose Clance, Dr. Clance, has an, uh, an internet-based uh, assessment. We've all taken it, so I'd like to. I'm interested in hearing what y'all think. What y'all scored? I scored in the moderate range. Just gonna, Me too. I got a 57. Ah, I got a 56. Very close. <laughs> Basically the same. I. But it does show that I'm a little more genuine than you are, Toast. Oh just one point more. <laughs> no, uh, but we want to talk about some research and some findings on it, and then maybe some uh, helpful tips about how, if you feel this, what you can do. Who wants to start the ball rolling here? I, I can start, because you mentioned uh, Dr. Pauline Clance and Dr. Susan Imes. Um, so, so even before I go into that a little bit, the history, it just, it, it does come, it has come to me personally before. I think in medical school, to the point where I was asking or have you asked that question, like, do you feel like you're a fraud? I didn't ask that myself specifically, but it's like, am I lacking the skills or do I even belong here? You know, do I have the skills that I need to become a doctor? What's happening, right? And this, when it was studied, was in 1978 by Dr. Clance and Imes, and they did this, this research study. Um, it, it was called Imposter Phenomenon in High Achieving Women, Dynamics and Therapeutic Intervention. And basically from there, they studied about 150 high achieving women. And they were looking at the prevalence of this, they described it like internal experience, uh, they did this by interviews, and they basically look at, at how these women were feeling like they were not enough, that despite the evidence that was around them, that they have, you know, high, high success, um, being told by, by peers the same way, you can actually count their success. They still have doubt. They have still have this internal fear of being exposed as a fraud. And it started as a study being done in high achieving women. And that's what it, it got a little biased towards that. But then it, 
now in reality we know that the prevalence of how how many of these cases you see in the population is about very close i'll say between uh men uh, and women and, and there's other distinctions if you go into minorities groups and things like that as well yeah kind of emerged from women um achieving uh, a lot of high positions in in industries and um uh, kind of breaking the glass ceiling type of thing and then the, uh, they faced a lot of scrutiny and then started having some of these uh, these fears, fears of being judged and feelings of imposter phenomenon and things like that. So it kind of happens when, um, uh, you know, even with minority folks, when they're breaking into a new uh, an area where there's um, a less representation they, and they have this fear, this, this scrutiny, this felt scrutiny, sometimes it, these feelings can pop up. And I think what's so interesting, Aaron, is like, this is not a per se psychiatric diagnosis. This is not in the right, good point. This is, you know, but it does have a lot of comorbid associations. Um, you know, they have, they show higher rates of anxiety, higher rates of depression. And so I think it is something that needs to be addressed, especially in the population of people who are high achieving college students, adolescents to uh, professionals moving forward. Were you surprised with your score, um, DM? No, because I know I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean, it, it makes sense. Like, um, so I was the first in my family to go to college. Um, I, you know, I'm a female. I'm Asian. I, I don't know. It's, I, I, the imposter syndrome is always there. It's how I've learned to cope with it, I think is the interesting part. Do you want to share what you got? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What What about the rest of you guys? Do you want to share what you got? Yeah, I can, I, I can share. Oh. Yeah. I was going to say that I didn't do it. Edgar. So I didn't have a homework because I wasn't here last time. So my bad, guys. Sorry, so let me go ahead. Oh, no, we're just going to have. Yeah, Saloni, what did you get? And, and by the way, Edgar, do it right now. So, <laughs> okay. Don't get you? out of this. Yeah. Me, what, what do you have to say? <laughs> I got a 59, which is like right at the high end of moderate imposter syndrome. So right around where you mm. um, and Tosha got it. Um, and I think that, you know, actually would have been much higher if I had been taking this cold and not in preparation for a show on imposter syndrome. Mm. Um, you know, so I think that that also a plays point. a role. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I did want to speak to the, you know, the comment about minorities, people, um, you know, people that are of color or minorities in whatever profession that they're in, especially medicine, often feel like imposters because they're made to feel like imposters. Um, you know, especially if you think about wow. all the debate around affirmative action and how many people have gotten comments as they progress through their careers that they only, you know, achieve those things because uh, they were some token um, whatever, you know, token person of color, token woman, whatever it may be. So I think that that, you know, really does hurt. And kind of like speaking to what DM said, that she was the first person in her family to go to college. So it's like you already have this, you already have that behind you for a lot of these people. Um, and then on top of that, the profession you're in is treating you differently uh, and, mm -hmm. and constantly reminding you that you don't belong, that you don't look like what a doctor should look like or what an accountant should look like or whatever it may be. Such um, a good point. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I did want to talk about a couple studies. Um, there, there was a study published in 2013 by the university of Texas at Austin 
in the Journal of Multicultural Counseling and Development, and they surveyed college students of color. They found that um, Asian Americans were more likely than Blacks or Latinos to experience imposter feelings. And then they also found that imposter feelings were um, actually more strongly correlated to predicting mental health problems than um, stress related to one's minority status. I don't know how they how they were able to like interesting separate those two, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's what I that's what I found. I also have some other characteristics uh, that have been found related to people who have imposter syndrome. These were described by Valerie Young, who has written a book on imposter syndrome. Uh, so perfectionists who feel they need to do things perfectly, they are more likely to experience imposter syndrome. Experts who feel they need to know everything about their field of study, people who feel they need to complete tasks on their own rather than asking for help and that being a valid um, way to achieve. Uh, and then people who feel they need to be able to excel in multiple areas, like kind of a, a jack of all trades. That feels like every... it. Uh maybe except for the last one, but even maybe the last one, all of those feel like you were describing um, medicine, right? Like the uh, yeah. the Lone Ranger superhero and perfectionism, all of that stuff. Being the expert, having to be the expert. And and, and that's that's Dr. Atkins, Alan. Thank you for the comment. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, in fact, um, you know, they, they reached out to uh, Counseling and Psychological Services and asked me to present on how to overcome or recover or um, tips and strategies of, of helping yourself through imposter phenomena, the school of medicine, because there's a lot of folks in the school of medicine that are reporting that and asking for that. Now, it is, it is true that uh, high-achieving individuals often report high imposter syndrome. So there does seem to be that connection. And I'm curious, too, if, you know, being high-achieving, if that's correlated with imposter syndrome, um, if there's kind of a causation there, like, I wonder if, you know, part of the reason why people are so high achieving is because they, they keep trying to mitigate this feeling that they're an imposter. So they, they keep, you know, achieving or, or striving for the next achievement. Right. Um, and I wonder how much of that is correlated to. I like that Saloni. Yeah. It's such a great point. I, I feel like that there's another causation that I wonder about, and maybe I'm take this is kind of maybe a personal feeling of causation is as societal ranks get higher, there's more of the sense that, oh, you're taking this role from someone else, right? So so someone with a very, very low position in society is probably less likely to question themselves morally for having the role that someone else maybe deserves equally. And so, and I'm going to transition that to just answering um, my score, which I went into it thinking that uh, I have basically little to no imposter syndrome. And it turns out, I guess I have the highest score here. So I had a, or as far as anyone who's shared so far. So I have a 70. Um, and I guess I had what I'm going to call <laughs> imposter syndrome about imposter syndrome. And what I mean by that is I, ha I was aware, I'm, we're, we're here with all these people who, um, or not all these people, but I, I don't know, DM mentioned being, um, the the I think the first in her family to be in, in college or in medical school. And I, I was in a medical school with a lot of friends who were amazing people who had overcome a lot more than me. Um, they had, you know, one of them, her mother was uh, a cleaning lady and uh, she took care of her mother at various points. And um, 
just various people would come through all of these different challenges. And I didn't have a lot of those kind of challenges. Um, and my father's a doctor and I had a lot of privilege in life. And my imposter syndrome was kind of feeling like, what right do I have to be here? All these people are clearly much, much brighter than me. If they were able to do all of this stuff, not only, you know, I'll, I'll um, say in a foreign language or when they didn't have all the advantages and, and sort of the, the fallbacks when they messed up. And I, maybe that's why I continue to have that imposter syndrome because that feeling is one that I think is harder to dispel because I think it's true. I think like it's, it's, you're gonna have a hard time convincing me that that's, that I really do deserve it as much as some of my friends. I think it's interesting because imposter syndrome, yeah. Alan, for me, isn't whether you deserve it or not. It's about whether how you internalize like your your um, your accomplishments and things that you have done. Mm -hmm. So I think that's that's a more uh, like defining factor. Like you, you know, you all you're comparing yourself to people who are in the same medical school. So theoretically, you've all reached the same level of like attainment, um, but you haven't internalized or that success. It maybe as much. Do you think that was mm -hmm. it? Yeah, I mean that sounds right on. And maybe I, you know, the idea of having for me the idea that aside from me finding it a cute phrase that that I have imposter syndrome about imposter syndrome is that maybe that feeling isn't imposter syndrome maybe and that maybe I'm correct in thinking that I don't have that but then the score is saying that you know somehow I managed to score a 70 on that scale I don't and I, I, I don't quite know what's going on totally makes sense to me though because it's you're you're attributing your success to to factors that were without with that not within your control like you being born male, being born white, those are things that you're mm -hmm. like, I got lucky that I'm here, whereas like I didn't earn it. And that's basically the foundation of imposter syndrome. You think that your achievements were based on luck or other external factors rather than on your internal factors and your internal accomplishments. Yeah, or white right. privilege, yeah. Right. White privilege, um, uh, social standing, that kind of thing. I also want to give listeners some perspective on the scale. So the, I believe the highest score you can get is a 100. Um, and I, I took this with one of my closest friends who's also in psychiatry, and he scored a score in the 90s. So um, it is possible to get higher scores. I just did mine right now. It might be a little biased because I was in a rush, but I think- Edgar, you came through. Knowledge. Yeah. So impressive. You guys want to know what I got? Yeah. yeah. I think it's a little higher than what I was hoping for, uh, but I got a 52. Oh, that's the okay. lowest of anybody. You won imposter <laughs> syndrome, Edgar. You're like, I was hoping I was an imposter. And <laughs> I think well, you taking it in a rush actually made it a more accurate score because you weren't so, overthinking yeah. it. Maybe, yeah. but but then there's one thing that from what Alan was saying right now that kind of called my attention based on what I was reading too, is that one of the things in this might also has to do with all the things that we're gonna talk later, like procrastination or imposter syndrome, is that as someone who came from like, you know, uh, uh, my parents were not educated, I never, you know, I didn't have that constant push that you have to be the best version, or maybe you have these generations and you have to be better than that. And I, I was attributed that where I'm at to the hard work, which can be a double-edged sword. 
um, I feel that that's why I don't I attribute it not to luck I attribute it not to being on the right time because I it took it took me six years in undergrad to get to medical school so that's why I don't think it's on the other end and I'll tell you what's the other part after after the break and you're listening to Let's Get Psyched if you just joined on KUCR. We're talking about imposter syndrome, imposter phenomenon, where you feel that you're going to be exposed as someone who is not actually who is pre- you're presenting yourself as. And it tends to go up the more that you focus on how you're coming across to folks. Uh, the more you feel like uh, praise is undeserving, like it, it, you know, some of these questions on some uh, that that you'll take, and I encourage everyone out there to kind of Google imposter phenomenon because you can take it online. Uh, where someone gives me a a compliment, it's hard to feel like I'm deserving it and things like that. And so, take I encourage everyone out there to take it. But we're talking about research findings, and we're also going to get into uh, what you can do to help yourself with imposter syndrome. Edgar, you had another point you wanted to make. Yeah, so, so I was telling one that I don't attribute what I'm at. Even if I felt I had doubt through medical school, and then, you know, even if I didn't have some feelings of like, well, you know, going from being preclinical where you're not seeing patients in medical school, and then third and fourth year comes, and then here you are, you try to be the doctor, but you don't have experience, and it's kind of like you're learning as you go. So at that point, I did feel a little like maybe out of place, but I, I have never attributed it to luck or I have never attributed it to be on the right place because like I was saying, it took me six years to do undergrad when I came to this country uh, because, you know, I started at the community college and things like that. So that's one point. And the other one is, as I was saying, it could be this thinking about like having uh, like having had to work hard to be where I'm at it can be a double-edged sword because at the same time, it can be a limiting thinking like, hey, I have to work double as hard as other people. so. What if I want to be where you're at? So that that's the only thing that I have to be cautious in terms of where I'm at. I saw that too in the reading that sometimes people, it's not about feeling the right place, right time. It's about feeling like they have to overcompensate to achieve the same level of things other people with quote unquote natural skills uh, can accomplish. So then they get in this vicious cycle of like, I have to stress out, I have to overcompensate. That's the only way I'm going to be able to achieve. Um, And I wanted to move into talking about what what has been found as helpful. Um, There was a Harvard Business Review article written by Gil Corkendale, who's an executive coach in 2008, um, and he had the following tips. Um, One tip was to reach out to friends and mentors and actually get some form of reassurance from them uh, that, you know, your skills are legitimate. Um, And then also just reflecting on yourself, um, putting your uh, worries into perspective, um, such as, you know, no one's perfect. Um, and uh, I, I actually did achieve these things based off of this, this, and that. Um, realizing that doubt is normal too. Um, and then one other one that Gil Corkendale wrote about was recommending to visualize your success. So meaning that if you start getting into this mind swirl of, of all these self-doubt thoughts, just focusing on the outcome, visualizing the outcome can kind of push those thoughts away and help you uh, stay focused. 
I'd be interested in hearing what folks have done to help themselves through imposter, feeling like an imposter and feeling like they made it, they're genuine person, things like that. For myself, I feel like as I've completed years in training, I feel like it's gotten better. And that's something else I read just with time. It goes, it's, it starts to get better. Yeah. I feel like when I was younger, I definitely felt like more of an imposter. There are more um, situations. I, I feel like that within it's a peak at the peak was in the beginning of grad school. That's what I feel. I feel like right when you arrive and you take a lot of difficult classes with uh, a lot of folks that you see are, uh, that seem completely on the ball in every way that you're not. <laughs> and I think this but, goes back to also, I mean, what, you know, the, is it that you're getting older or is it that you have more uh, external confirmation of your, of your worth and your value, right? I mean, we're yeah. getting older, but we're also progressing in our training, right? We're getting, uh, we're tacking on residency, you know, boardships, fellowships, et cetera, right? So I wonder about how much of that is true as well. Am I really just, you know, and that's kind of what I said earlier is, are we just fighting imposter syndrome by trying to achieve more and more? Um, but I, I did want to say something helpful. I was reading there, there was um, a woman who's a teacher in the Bronx and she had a really, uh, a really bad case of imposter syndrome and she had to kind of step back. And I think sometimes we just have to step back and consider she, when she really looked at her resume, she realized she had a Truman scholarship, a Fulbright scholarship, a Soros scholarship. And then she's like, okay, well, at what point do I say, yeah, I am enough and I do deserve this. Um, but she, you know, she was a woman of color and she, she's trying to impart this um, to her students in the Bronx and she's trying to fight imposter syndrome at a, from a young age. And she said that part of the reason I th that she thought they suffered from this is because there was kind of what we've been saying, there was this artificial, um, I guess, really just two options. Either you made it this far because of a token, you're a, you know, you're a token member mm -hmm. of whatever profession. Diversity hire. Right, a diversity hire, or you're somehow exceptional um, compared to all the people that you love that you've somehow left behind. And the way that she fought this was by encouraging her students not to leave their identities at the door when they enter the classroom, but to always examine their personal histories, their family histories, um, everything they've gone through, and realize that they are who they are today because of the people around them um, as well as their own inherent you know, value and skill. Saloni, so, I, I like that point, and I think that it's really worth mentioning that, you know, here we are examining how, if, if one experiences imposter syndrome, how to work within oneself to fix that. And I think, let's point out that this is something that's largely targeting women of color, people of color, people that have overcome disadvantages. We've already brought up that this is something that all of the risk factors for this sound like things in medicine. I think it's worth mentioning that the toxic culture of medicine is you know uh multiplies suicide rates in med students by many many times the population average and that we've also mentioned that oh as you rise in the training ranks you have less imposter syndrome well maybe that's because you're not being neglected and being made to staple papers despite your seven eight years of education as a medical student right i mean I think we really need to not just look within ourselves, but look at how we can change the system that is, I think, admittedly, pretty much by everyone, one of the, the more toxic training systems in existence and, and one that doesn't, ex doesn't 
reflect on and learn from current teaching literature at all? Um, I have spoken to a resident who said that uh, a resident of color who said that when she was a medical student, she was questioned by an attending as to essentially her um, her credentials, asking where did you, where where did she uh, go to undergrad? What sort of scores did she get? Because he was quizzing her to see if she was a diversity hire. Oh boy. Oh my gosh. Yeah, no, that's terrible. I, but I do want to say that there, there are many paths to feeling like an imposter at many roads. Uh, you know, like you were saying, Alan, you know, maybe thinking about your own privilege kind of maybe contributed a bit to that. But yeah, you're right. That it's This is a great point that we're talking about how the system itself creates a lot of these feelings. And then, you, and then you're faced with the, the challenge of overcoming it. Feeling like you belong there. And, it, and it's not just there. medicine. I mean, I think PhD programs are almost universally like this. Every time I hear about the, you know, I think a huge percentage of academics come from a well-meaning tradition and largely a tradition of, I went through this, therefore others should go through this. That's no longer consistent with learning literature and with the, with healthy, healthy human psychology. Yeah. I mean, I want to kind of build on some of these points. Like, uh, so I put together this uh, kind of, uh, I did some research and did a presentation to School of Medicine about what they, uh, people can do for about imposter uh, syndrome and overcoming that in their own lives. And you're right, yeah, the system, If the, the more critical of a system and the more cost there is to being exposed, yeah, imposter feelings are going to come up and the fear of being exposed is going to increase. Um, and I think it's a really good point, Saloni, that you made about how it's so connected with your motivation. I mean, it's, it's no uh, coincidence that high-performing folks tend to have a lot of imposter phenomenon. Uh, and it's because this is used, I mean, in, maybe inadvertently, unconsciously, but it's used to motivate oneself. You look around, you compare yourself with other folks, you, you say, well, I need to be an expert, I need to uh, uh, be knowledgeable, and that anxiety and that tension drives you to be better, accomplish more, focus more. But at some point, you feel that, that the anxiety can get too intense. The pressures can get too intense. The desire to be an expert at everything gets too intense, and then you can crash. So it's, kind of, it's very much crash. I think that's a little bit what you were referring to, Alan. That it's a kind of a crash and burn system a bit. Um, another thing that I read about was like, so, you know, we're talking about the characteristics. What what are these commonalities that people share? But what about like the source of this sort of high pressure that people place on themselves? And one of the things I read was that a lot of people um, were found to have in their families that they grew up in, their families placed high value on achievement. And I think that has to do also to wrap it up with, with well, society and the, the world that we're living right now. You have to be perfect. You have to have a perfect family. You have to have the perfect education. You have to strive for, you know, do more. And it's not uncommon from some of what I read, what was written in the statistics that at least 70% of adults might have experienced imposterism once in a lifetime, but it's as common as 25 to 30% of high achievers, especially like we've been saying, people who have new endeavors, people who are going to higher levels of education or, or professional levels. So I wanna um, have you all give your take on what, this is what I see as the five challenges to overcoming imposter syndrome. All right, so there's something going on where people create an idealistic version of who they should be. So you wanna reduce yourself 
you reduce your tendency to always create these kinds of images of who you should be. And if you're saying, I should, I got to, I have to, I must, I need to, that you're probably doing a lot of that, these kind of stereotypical notions of what a good doctor is or what a good resident is and things like that. I think that needs to be reduced. That's one challenge. You want to also change how you respond to your mistakes and poor performance, not in a shame, guilt kind of uh, uh, cycle, but uh, appreciate the process of making mistakes and, and growing and changing. Increasing your use of self-generated sources of self-esteem rather than seeking validation from others. Reduce the value and just the monitoring of opinions from others. I'm not saying that opinions from others are a source of information and growth, but you want to reduce the value and, the, and just the active monitoring of it. And then the big one, accept, increase the acceptance of yourself. As, as a, it's okay to be less than perfect. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be not as good as people. It's okay to be less than other people. What, what are your thoughts? I want, I'm interested to hear. These, this is what I feel are the five challenges to overcome the imposter syndrome. I mean, Aaron, you're basically talking about resilience. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're encouraging, you know, resilience training. You're, uh, you know, how to build yourself up and how to see yourself as stronger. Yeah. Now, how do you deal with it? Do you feel like this is something that you would do, Diem? Is this something? These are some of the strategies that you've used. Uh, not consciously, no. <laughs> <laughs> You're no. already resilient. You're already a resilient person. No, so. I think my resilience comes from I. I'm very good at gathering like people around me who like it, like this group, who are supportive <laughs> and who I can talk to and who I can bounce ideas and uh, thoughts and, and even self doubt at. And that's that's how you grow when you're willing to talk about your weaknesses and have people who encourage your strengths. And that's the last word and all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today, we discussed imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon. Thank you to our co-hosts, Drs. Toshi Yamaguchi, DM Wynn, Edgar Ortega, Salome Singh, and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucrgmail.com. That's getpsychedonkucrgmail.com. And you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. <laughs>